Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by listeners and by Lee Auto Malls, featuring all electric vehicles from Nissan and Toyota in stock now. Learn more at leeauto.com electric. You're listening to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Robbie Feinberg. I'm joined by Maine Public's State House correspondent, Kevin Miller, and our chief political correspondent, Steve Missler. This fall's campaign season in Maine has been relatively quiet. There are no major races for governor or for Congress. But there will be eight, yes, eight statewide ballot referendums for residents to vote on come November 7th. So to break that all down, we will be bringing you a series of weekly programs analyzing all eight of those questions and providing plenty of background and context. So today we'll start by talking through four of the ballot questions, questions five through eight, which would all amend the state constitution. Kevin, I want to start with you. Let's start with question six. Um, This one has gotten, I think, the most outsized attention out of all of these uh, constitutional amendments. And it's somewhat connected to the fight around tribal sovereignty in Maine. So what would this do? Yeah, so it is connected. But while the the recent sovereignty debate that we've been having stems from tensions over the 1980 Indian Land Claims Settlement, we actually have to go all the way back to 1875 for the history on this constitutional amendment. Uh, So what question six asks is whether voters want to require printed copies of the Maine Constitution to include three sections that have been left out since 1876. And one of these sections, which was written back in 1820, actually commits the brand new state of Maine to honor the treaties that Massachusetts had negotiated with the Indian tribes, as well as other, quote, obligations that the state had towards those tribal communities. The two other uh, omitted sections were largely housekeeping that kind of dealt with the messy details of Maine's separation from Massachusetts. Okay, so this language, it was originally part of the Maine Constitution. Do, Do we know why it was removed? Well, there's a lot of debate over that because, unfortunately, the historic record isn't terribly helpful. Uh, A special commission back in 1875 recommended cutting out these three sections from printed copies in order to kind of clean up, if you will, a constitution that some people had felt had just gotten too confusing and too clunky over the decades. And Maine voters went along with that. But the language makes clear that the section dealing with honoring tribal treaties remains, quote, in full force. So it's still in effect. It's just hidden from view. And it sounds like not everyone agrees that this was merely about cleaning up the Constitution. Yeah, that's right. There, there are some people, including Wabanaki leaders, who think this was really an attempt by state officials almost 150 years ago to basically hide Maine's treaty obligations to the tribes. Other researchers suspect that the motivation wasn't quite that overt. They say it's more reflective of kind of the unfortunate reality that back then, Many people in power in Augusta and the courts even didn't think the state had any obligations to the tribes and that tribal citizens were really just wards of the state. So one historical researcher, Catherine Burns, has pointed out that at the same time that this constitutional commission was meeting back in 1875, Maine's Supreme Court was poised to rule in this big land claims case between a white Washington County landowner and the Passamaquoddy tribe. Uh, Catherine Burns argues that under the terms of this section of the Constitution, the state would actually have to compensate the Passamaquoddy tribe for all the land that they were about to lose because of this court case. Uh, The state was in deep debt, and officials really didn't want to do that. So what Burns has theorized is that a legal associate of this landowner was put on the Constitutional Commission and then recommended omitting this treaty section. 
and consequently the Passamaquoddy tribe was never paid by the state. But regardless, today's Wabanaki leaders say those, those obligations are still in full effect. So in the interest of transparency and kind of historical honesty, they say the state should really print the section for everyone to see. And here's Penobscot Ambassador Molly and Bryant talking to the legislature about it earlier this year. A key part of tribal sovereignty is having government-to-government relationships, and that is what this section shows. It is also something the state of Maine has struggled with, especially since 1980. We have made some really great progress, so why not let these original treaty obligations be seen and printed? The fact that they were hidden sends a message to the tribal nations that the agreements and relationships between the state and our governments and our people are not important or worthwhile. So is there any concerted effort against this proposal at this point? Not much of one, at least not that we're seeing publicly. The The administration of Governor Janet Mills, they opposed the constitutional amendment as it was working through the legislature. And they kind of dismissed these theories as, quote, a misguided attempt to right historic wrong that never occurred. But Governor Mills wasn't successful on this issue. And so voters will get to decide this November. Okay, and and so if this language is actually added back to the Constitution, what would be the implications for the state and the tribes? Would this actually tangibly change anything around tribal sovereignty in Maine? Probably not. As we talked about, the section on honoring treaties with the tribal nations is still in full effect. Those obligations never went away, even if the words disappeared from the printed pages. But having the language once again front and center could be a sort of reminder about the state's historic promises to the Wabanaki people as we continue to have this debate over sovereignty. All right. So I'm sure we could just keep going into this issue, but we do have three more questions left to discuss today. So, so let's move on. Steve, a few of these ballot questions, they would actually amend Maine's citizen referendum process. Uh, so let's start with the first one, question five. This one seems kind of weedy. It revolves around how much time state workers have to validate a citizen's petition. So explain this to us simply. What would this do? So question five, Robbie, is really a classic case of when the wording of a ballot question might be technically correct, but maybe harder for voters to understand than it need be. It mentions judicial review of ballot petitions, but it's really about giving election workers at the Secretary of State a little more time to make sure that those petitions are legitimate. And this affects the process by which citizens or groups claiming to represent them can propose legislation directly to voters. In order to do that, campaigns have to collect a a certain amount of signatures from Maine voters, and then state election workers have to manually go through those signatures to make sure they're really registered voters, that there's no duplicates, forgeries, and so forth. It's a painstaking process with a prescribed timeline under the state constitution, and question five expands that timeline. This proposal actually stems from a situation last year when election workers were forced to undergo this validation process at the same time that they were administering the 2022 election. It basically made staff at the Secretary of State work 35 straight days, uh, and this constitutional amendment is designed to prevent that kind of situation, which state officials worry could compromise the integrity of either the validation process or election administration. Okay, so let's move on to question seven now. This one would allow both residents and non-residents to circulate ballot petitions. Steve, what's the, the background here? What prompted this proposal? Yeah, this stems from what seems to be an evergreen dispute over who should be allowed to circulate ballot petitions, Robbie. The Maine Constitution says all circulators must be Maine residents and registered voters. 
But two years ago, a conservative ballot question committee challenged that requirement in court, and a federal judge ruled that it is a violation of the U.S. Constitution, specifically the First Amendment. So question seven is meant to align with that ruling. Mm -hmm. And if question seven does pass, do we have any idea what kind of groups might benefit from having ballot circulators from outside of Maine? Well, ballot campaigns already have ways around the current Maine resident requirement right now, but this change will certainly make it easier for campaigns to hire out-of-state petition circulators and just turn them loose. And there's an entire workforce of people who travel around the country doing this kind of work, like carnival workers. Uh, The change will certainly benefit campaigns because it expands that pool of people that they can employ to get their issue on the ballot. But there's a potential downside in that people who come here to do this might be, say, I don't know, a little more cavalier with the facts behind the proposal that they're asking residents to sign for. This has been an issue before, especially when the circulators are getting paid by the signature. And we've seen campaigns that will fork out a ton of cash for those. Um, Finally, we have question eight here, at least finally for today, we should say. We'll have have more on the other questions. Uh, But this question, question eight, is around expanding voting rights to people who are under guardianship with mental illness. Steve, you've reported that a judge actually ruled more than a few decades ago that this kind of restriction was unconstitutional. So why are we still working to get this passed so many years later? So in 2000, the legislature advanced a constitutional amendment that removes this guardianship restriction. But the problem is, is that 60% of voters rejected it. The following year, voting rights advocates challenged the prohibition in court, arguing that it disenfranchises people with mental illness and assumes they're unable to make voting decisions, even if they are. They won that battle in court, and state lawmakers removed the restriction in its election code, but it remains in the main constitution because voters have the final say on changes to it, and no legislature has since attempted to send this issue to them. This legislature finally did, and they added language in the ballot question that makes specific reference to how a federal court found this prohibition violates the U.S. Constitution. That language was not in the 2000 ballot question. And that was Maine Public's chief political correspondent, Steve Missler, and he was joined by our statehouse correspondent, Kevin Miller. Thanks for joining us for Maine's Political Pulse. You can also read the Political Pulse newsletter. Find that online at mainepublic.org pulse. And you can also head to our website to read or listen to even more of our analysis of the questions on this fall's ballot. And keep an eye on your podcast feed. We'll have even more episodes coming up on other main ballot questions in the weeks ahead. Our music is by Rob Holt. I'm Robbie Feinberg. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon on Maine's Political Pulse.